It's the Loose Filter Podcast, episode 110, Music in the Middle. I'm your host, Stuart Sims, and I'm joined uh, for this episode by Lisette Kaninenberg and Anthony Campolo, and we have a conversation about music in the middle, which we took to mean kind of one of three general things. Uh, the first thing we thought about is music that combines uh, conflicting styles or genres or really different, really contrasting styles or genres, but combines them in a really interesting way. We listen to music that borrows uh, uh, sounds from a different kind of sound world than is normally found in its style or tradition. And we listen to music that borrows ideas from one kind of music making and applies them to another with lots of examples. You can find the examples listed if you hear anything that really catches your ear and piques your interest uh, with links to acquire this music for yourself um, at loosefilter.com. They'll be appended to the post with this podcast episode. You can subscribe to the podcast if you enjoy what you hear on iTunes. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud as well. And uh, like I said, the uh, website itself, loosefilter.com, always is active with posts and other new stuff. Uh, if you have any feedback for us, we'd love to hear from you, loosefilter at gmail.com. Without any further delay, we'll jump right into this episode, which was a lot of fun for us to make and has some wildly diverse music on it that we connect in some pretty interesting and unexpected ways. I think you'll enjoy this episode and hope that you find maybe something new, some new music to explore and enjoy as well. I am here with my co-host, Lisette Kaninenberg. Hi, Hello, Lisette. everyone. And we have a, uh, a, a new personality on the podcast here, special guest, Anthony Campolo. Hello, Anthony. Hello. Anthony is uh, uh, is a musician. You work for UCamps, correct? Yeah, tell us just like give us a, a, the ten second synopsis of sure. what that is. UCamps is a performing arts camp where we take kids out to the Santa Cruz Mountains and they get to do film, acting, music, dance while also doing more traditional camp like activities. Excellent. And I do want to have you back at some point and have a conversation about camp, camp education, like the camp environment. I know there's a big movement. Lots of these sorts of organizations and events going on all over the place. Yes, I would love to talk about that. But that's not what we're talking about this episode. Nope. No. And also for nostalgic purposes, Anthony and I went to school together. Aww. Yes. Aww. Yes. Aww. And so Anthony uh, and Lisette also are in a band together. They make music together currently. Yeah, we do. And Anthony is uh, a very thoughtful and well-informed and curious uh, listener who is incredibly eclectic in his listening habits. So I thought he'd Night. be... I thought he'd be perfect to come join us on this episode, which is about something. This episode we're calling Music in the Middle, and I wanted to um, just kind of put some music out there and talk about the fact that, that increasingly, as uh, all of our creative work and our cultural habits and our sharing and our listening gets um, more and more far-flung, broader and deeper because of the internet, we're getting this music uh, that I call music in the middle. And it's music that doesn't come from one clear stylistic place that doesn't have 
clear, you know, boundaries in terms of You can't of its label influences. it. You can't put it in. A, you, you can't define it by terms of a genre. It kind of breaks those boundaries. Right. And we're not talking just about music that is maybe influenced by one style or another. We're talking about music that perhaps fuses two really distinct and different styles. And that has two feet firmly planted in each side of the genres. Exactly. So like a hybrid model. Right. It isn't like uh, this kind of music with a little bit of something else sprinkled on top. It's, right. It's, you know, it's mother is this and it's, it's Authentically both styles. Exactly. Uh, uh, or it could be music that uh, blends uh, sounds from different worlds. So it could be, you know, uh, a song that has composed elements to it it could be electronica with acoustic instruments it could be anything like that that takes sounds from worlds that are normally kind of separate or disparate and puts them together or it could be music that conceptually borrows ideas from one way of thinking one one uh, musical practice and kind of applies them to another for a lot of listeners it can be off-putting Especially if, let's say, it's one of it's music that is like a fusion of two really distinct styles. Yeah, there's like, why would you want to put these two things together? And you love one of them, right? Right. You love one of the styles, but the other one you're really unfamiliar with. It may be culturally um, alien to you. It may be um, uh, aesthetically very different from what you're used to. There may be some element of it that's off-putting, and we wanted to. Uh, help provide some like framing, some ways to approach this kind of music. So it could be a genre that directly contradicts what you think this other style stands for and brings in something mm-hmm. completely different. <laughs> right, and we want to help make you maybe more open to that. Right. That, and not, not feel like it's an intrusion. All over the musical spectrum, from the most diehard pop fanatics to the most diehard classical fanatics, there are types of music being made that are pushing boundaries everywhere. And so no matter what kind of music you love and you want to stand behind, there is something for you to explore. Yeah, everyone in all these different genres are all pushing up against the edges of their own conventions, exactly. I feel like. And that, right, that's a natural cultural outgrowth, right? Because yeah. we're all on the internet and we're all coming across things that we never would have found you know had we say been limited to what the taste of the purchasing manager at the local record store and we dictated have, made yeah, it into the, gay, the store gatekeepers are losing all their power and we have access to such have incredible lost, right? yeah. technology too i mean the tools that we can that we can use just that any person can just get without much money is i mean it's astounding what you can make and i think that's where these musicians whose music we're going to listen to that's where they're coming from they're not doing this in a gimmicky way they're they're pushing as Lissette said they're really pushing at these edges like honestly because they generally love both of the things that they're combining yeah because because of our tools our sharing has become so I love this thing and I love this thing exactly. they would be so great together Let's and I do think it. I think yeah I think if I could put them together they could really be a thing that doesn't sound like anything that Mm -hmm. that is in either world and it would be useful and unique to have. So what is the incentive that is driving these artists to continue to to grow in that fundamental way, to expand their technique and their skill set and define these new modes of of musical expression, do you think? Well I would say for myself, when I was starting as a musician, I sort of made this conscious decision to try and explore each individual genre and form of music that was around because if there's the style of music that's around people listen to it then there must be some value in it that's at least what i thought so that's a huge observation right that 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 is often you know we're all music school kids 
uh, to some degree, <laughs> I guess. I mean, we were all there. Um, but, but, uh, 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 yeah, yeah. What you just, if, if, if people love a thing, then there's got, there's, there's, there's something there. Reason why, yeah. There's something there, right? Uh-huh. Even if you're not seeing it. Okay. I love that. I love that attitude. Okay. Sorry. Keep yeah. Going. So then if you take all these different styles, what is it that's drawing people to them? And you find all those different values and you can start combining them into your own musicianship. And that's ultimately the goal is to have limitless ability as a musician, be able to do whatever you want, realize whatever idea is in your head. And the more tools you have, the better you're able to do that. I, I wanted to start with um, what to my mind is, and and because of when I was born and, and you know the musical taste of the people around me, the quintessential music in the middle. The, it was the first piece of music that hit me as a kid and I thought, wait a minute, this thing doesn't belong where I found it. I love it, but it's it's not part of the thing it was supposed yeah, to be. It's not like these other things that are around it. Exactly. It, and it's not like what the cover said it was going to be. It's awesome, and I love it, but it's it's why is this thing here, and why is it called what it is? So with that as an introduction, we'll just, this is, I, I, I'm sure you're all going to recognize it, but this is our, our first example. up the rice in the church where a wedding has been lives in a dream waits at the window wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door of course that's eleanor rigby by the beatles on their album revolver 1966 i guess my question is why is that a rock song <laughs> why would yeah, it's why a would string we... octet and vocals <laughs> <laughs> exactly right it's an art song it's more than because it's on a beatles album because it's on a beatles album. exactly we consider eleanor rigby a rock song because it was framed that way but there's nothing about it intrinsically that makes it that i mean it's clearly mccartney's songwriting style i think you know it's a lennon mccartney song yeah, it so, sounds like his work so their songwriting hallmarks are there but yeah it's strings like literal, you know, violins and violas and cellos, and a singer, and that's the whole. Yeah, that's all you need. That's the whole track. So, so you know, that was the first one that really kind of rattled my brain in that regard. Like, wait a minute, this isn't a rock song. And I was like, when he did yesterday, there was a huge debate among them: should we put this on the album? Should we even call this a Beatles song? Because it's it's not really a Beatles song, and Elton Rigby is the natural extension of that. That's an obvious example of what we're talking about. This, it's, 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 it comes from musicians who are normally produce sort of one kind of thing and work in a style. It's completely outside of that, and it's framed one way, but it's, it's sound world it contains a lot of this sort of classical influence. George Martin arranging for the string quartet and, and McCartney, Lennon McCartney's songwriting sort of molded to this art song mode of expression right and done successfully i mean that's the important part too in a way that sounds authentic it's one thing to be like i'm gonna put this thing with this other thing but if there are two things that don't fit well together or you don't do it very well then it's kind of like whoa that's a good point i mean it it, it works that it's also just a beautiful piece of music is is very satisfying when these two worlds collide that's a really good point if the material if the song itself hadn't Risen to the level. Risen to the level of the setting. If the setting hadn't enhanced the song, it would have come off as gimmicky, but it comes off as very genuine fusion of kind of these these two 
ways of making yeah, songs. Yeah, them meeting together and synthesizing. And making a thing that's more than it could have been had it been purely uh, in... in Yeah, you they know. just arranged it for a rock band arrangement would have been as you know, famous and interesting of a song. Exactly, exactly. And it, had he tried to take his their lyric sensibility, their melodic sense, and really set it like, you know, a Schubert leader or something, yeah. <laughs> it wouldn't have been well served either because mm-hmm. it's not that kind of melody. No. And certainly the harmonic content is not that kind. It's like two chords. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, e minor it's, and C. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just not, it wouldn't be served well by that. So like this fusion really served the creative intent, the expressive intent really well. And uh, uh, that's what we're kind of talking about. So the next uh, uh, listening, given that framing, the first examples I guess we wanted to play are um, uh, examples that are fusions, right? Anthony, you brought some right, examples of for us. different styles and bands that combine these styles in ways that make them very much a part of each world and each soundscape. So this is kind of coming from that popular end of the spectrum where – there are in the popular music world lots and lots of different kinds of music. Yeah, and different worlds that have been sectioned off through radio stations or the pop charts, especially, have sort of created marketing, these little independent, the of marketing. independent musical worlds that function with their own idioms and styles. And then now we're seeing bands that are starting to combine those idioms and styles to make their own different sorts of music. So, this is a band called Against Me. And they do a really interesting job of taking the punk ethos of really aggressive and very passionate sort of music and adding more of an acoustic flavor to it. So when people think of punk music, they think of distortion, they think of loud, aggressive music. And this music's still aggressive, but it uses more nuance, more harmony, more just folk influence, and especially in the lyrics, because it takes the best of both worlds in the fact that both music are very politically minded or very socio-politically minded and have a lot on their mind. So you can hear a very folk-like, almost country-western sort of feel to it. it. has that bum 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 kind of sound to it. And then once you get to the chorus, it really kicks into more of an aggressive punk sort of style. So that's like Johnny Cash with a mohawk. Right. Yeah. And it's not really two styles most people would assume would go together because folk Those are artists. two styles I see getting into a bar fight. Exactly. Because one's usually seen as the more like mopey, kind of quiet, and then the other is more aggressive and like angry. But they can really go together well and I think complement each other really well. Yeah. And so this other band was a band that really, when I first listened to, just blew my mind because they did a really interesting combination of hip-hop style vocals and a more indie rock style soundscape and the fact that they had guitar, bass, drums, and keys, and they just did a lot of different psychedelic effects, but they combined it in a way that was very interesting sounding, and I especially appreciated what the singer was going for because he combines rap style with more of a singing effect and more vocalizing and who is this 
and this group is called Y. I'm not a ladies' man, I'm a landmine Filming my own fake death Under an 88 Cavalier That's a really unique sound. The vocal delivery evokes uh, they might be giants for me. But I noticed right away, too, and this is the music nerd part of my brain, I guess, that the music started in 6-8, a triple subdivision, but then the singer was singing in 4-4 in a duple subdivision. I thought it was interesting that the song's polymetric, too. Yeah, I think they're probably big minimalist fans. They do that effect a lot throughout the course of the album, the 3 over 4 effect. They're really big fans of it. And so what styles did you say are in play here? That it's like, they remind me of just an indie rock band, you know, early 2000s sort of sound where it's electric guitar and keys, but it's not like a traditional sounding rock band that they go for more of a spacey sort of sound. But the beats are more hip hop oriented and the vocals are very hip hop. So it's a combination of indie rock, like what you think of as really like white guy kind of indie rock and more just hip-hop rap sort of style and then later in the track that really blows up and becomes evident right and i think that what this band really does that's cool is that they have very surrealistic almost lyrics and very confessional and just like something that like ripped out of a diary almost and i feel like that's a very interesting thing to combine with the more hip-hop style and we're seeing a lot with current hip-hop artists especially because of kanye and drake just making this more confessional and less authentically you know like masculine type of hip-hop music and i feel like they're a really good example of that You have a third example to show us this sort of fusion approach of music in the middle. So this last example, it's a trio called TriosCapes, and two of the artists from it, the bass player and drummer, are also in the band Between the Buried and Me, a fairly well-known metal band that also would have been a good example for this series also. And they have a very strong metal influence and really crazy jazz chops, and they combine those in a way that is just so in your face jazz and metal yep which is strange Hmm. but once you sort of think about how they're both very about like activity in the music that's i'm just imagining a styles like a goth guy playing the saxophone and i I really like it i like this image i had that feeling when you when you described him as jazz and metal like when someone says you know who hooked up so and so and so and so, and it's like two oh people who make no sense together. Their kids in your are gonna image. look so weird. Yeah, you're like, what? Them? Really? The two? Really? What? Okay. Let's let's. I hope they're happy together. So let's listen to this excerpt and see if they're happy yeah. together. Triosapes. Jazz and metal or triosapes? Are they happy together? laughing we're just listening to that excerpt and i 
I said it, it calls to mind the image of a beatnik with the beret and the martini and the goatee. The cigarette. Yeah, and the cigarette. Like politely, and some bongos politely banging his head. Yeah, yeah it's in the corner like, yeah, rocking Because it is crazy. You're right. I mean, the gestures are really metal. Yeah, in your face, yeah. But the notes and the sounds are a jazz combo. Yeah, it could have just been, you know, John Coltrane thrown on top of this thing and just wailing on the saxophone. Thrown on the bones on the on the frame of, yep. of metal. That is a fascinating And I'm just imagining the crowd at this at like at yeah, this like who, concert. Yeah, who are their fans? Who is the intended audience of this? Because like I know I am because I love jazz and metal, but aside from me, like <laughs> you most and of the, the metal fans people, I like yeah. wouldn't necessarily be into this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing a lot of maybe guitarists who understand the value of jazz and and who also really appreciate the chops and yeah, metal. Music a nerds. Lot of, yeah, basically music nerds. So well, and I mean they'll they'll create an audience for it, right? I mean that's what exactly, these all yeah. these musicians in the middle are doing. And that's but that's yeah, it's exactly the, the point we're getting they're, to. They're coming from this weird eclectic place because of whatever reasons and thinking, you know, if I just put these things together, I can actually. I can express something that I couldn't have done with e- with either alone. And there's going to be people out there who maybe weren't music nerds who listen to that and go, "Oh my!" Yeah, God, and you know what's really fun about so awesome. You know what's really fun about this kind of music too is if you're an educator and you're teaching jazz to your kids and you really want to like hook them into the music, like you play something like this and there's also like, "Whoa, what, what, what is this?" Like you can you can do that. I can learn how to do that. <laughs> this music I'm t- I'm teaching you about that you don't connect to has has traveled through your world also exactly right? yeah. yeah 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 that's a yeah it could be a great hook man that was okay that was a cool excerpt the next chunk of excerpts we have are now moving in in a little bit of a different direction so those excerpts were all uh musical fusions that exist you know kind of from within the world of recorded music right and there are also popular musicians who write songs and make recordings and go on tour and so forth who really embrace compositional aspects to their music and acoustic concert music elements acoustic yeah. composed elements because they lived in that world themselves they just have a deep appreciation for it exactly and of course the difference i would say there's a, a fundamental difference we have two kinds of music in a very basic sense operating in our culture tell me if i'm being too reductionist here right but we have the realm of composed music which is music that is written down notated and is intended to be played live and experience right. live kind primarily of in place exactly there are recordings of it that are made but it's it's first intent is to be experienced live yeah. and then uh, uh the other kind on the other hand i would say as a broad distinction we have recorded music and all of the multiplicity of styles and traditions that have fed into that and that is music that comes from an oral tradition meaning it's not written down not notated. It's yeah, created. Someone has it in their head and just did it. And and you're you're sculpting it onto a recorded medium. You're right. you're you're creating it into a recording, right? And all the styles are going to that. So the the first set of examples that we listen to all come out of that world of recorded music styles that developed in that medium. Uh, jazz, you know, kind of is a little bit of both. Yeah, so it's in both worlds. Yeah. But but uh, uh, as I think a broad generalization, it works. So now we have some examples for you of uh, musicians who are fusing worlds the the those two basic worlds the composed world and the recorded world and i think one of the reasons why why i think this is particularly fascinating to talk about is because i think this is really where in terms of musical separation we have the biggest divide in the world of popular music yes there are a lot of very diverse styles but 
I think people are a lot more comfortable accepting, well, you know, I like hip hop and pop or I like folk and I like electronic. Like that's a little more acceptable than being like, I like acoustic concert music. I like classical yeah, music. I'm I mean, go see this Steve Reich piece tonight and people will just be like, the what? Yeah, the and, and I feel like so so in terms that of just how long the people who are venturing out into that uncharted territory that lies in between those worlds to me is particularly interesting because I think they're two worlds that should be best friends. I mean, they're so oh, they're both so great. But but the way why can't they all just well, get but along? the way that you find your yourself in either world as a musician is not conducive to combine in those worlds. Because if you are a recorded recording musician working in popular styles or idioms, you are not going to generally be collaborating with the concert musicians. You won't have had the same kind of educational path. Yeah, so you had this schism for you, so long, exactly. but that schism is slowly breaking for like a hundred years since we had recorded music. But that's why I think music. this is such an exciting topic because finally those walls I think are starting to crumble. Right, and, and, and a lot of people who are on the edges of the spectrum. Um, are, are a little worried about that. But I think it's incredibly mm-hmm. exciting. Yeah, I think people who are sort of parochial or who are dogmatic about purity of practice or superiority of exactly. mode or method of musical creation or composition are finding themselves increasingly marginal. I was going to say going to find, but it's already happened. It's happening. Are, are whether they realize it or not. Yeah, they're getting swept up. They're getting swept to behind. the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because of these artists who are going into the middle and who are who are going into the uncharted territory and creating new models. Finding increasingly that's what people want to hear. They want to hear these different blends and different things. They exactly. want to hear new stuff that combines something they do know with something maybe they don't know. I have a couple of examples from an artist, I think, who really is a pioneer in this regard. It's the Icelandic musician, composer, singer, actress, uh, Bjork. Everything is. Yes. Yeah. Bjork. Uh, General badass. Yeah, hardly an obscure uh, example, I think, to use. The first track I wanted to... Uh, Share is uh, yoga. Did am I saying that right? J O G A. I I mispronounce both uh, Sigaros and, and Bjork's titles when they use Icelandic. It's, it's, it's okay. not something you hear very I, often. I feel like everyone's going to be okay with it. But anyway, this track is one There's of her be best known day. tracks. I'm so mad. And it has a few right. I mean, we're going to get angry emails. This particular song uh, is, uh, I think, really typical of a lot of her strengths as a songwriter. Kind of big, soaring melodies, soulful melodies. Um, uh, musical momentum that's very patient and takes a while to build. But what is interesting to me in this track is that she blends the songwriting world, the recorded music world, with two disparate sounds. Okay, so her voice, a song with electronica, with beats that are very soft and kind of going through these distortions and filters that make them sound hazy and gauzy so that they fit in the aesthetic world of the song. But you're getting, you're getting beats in what is a very lyric and soulful song. So these really disjunct sound worlds on the recorded side, but compositionally there's a string ensemble here. Similar to the Eleanor Rigby Yeah, idea. calling back to the Eleanor Rigby, that it's essentially, it's an art song with, 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 with beats kind of added uh-huh. onto it. I don't know. Yep. So here's, here's the first excerpt. This is how the, the song sort of gets going. These accidents that happen Follow the dot Coincidence makes sense Only with you Really evocative 
of uh, Eleanor Rigby. But as it gets going, you will hear the emotional scope increases as this, the, the depth of the sound palette increases. And you'll hear the orchestrations thicker, more lush, and also you'll hear the electronic you hear in this second clip. do enjoy Bjork's ability to to really not be able to be pinned down or defined I feel like a lot of her music Bjork yeah (laughs) well from album to album I mean reinventing her sound world and a lot of that's not always easy as an artist you know and so I think that ability of hers is pretty pretty you just sound like yourself yeah well, and it's not like, uh, you know, in that track, like that's her gig, that's her aesthetic and all her stuff sounds like that. For a exactly. lot of a lot of artists, they'd be happy to have arrived at something that lovely and that evocative and that, uh, and, and they could just ride in that vein. Yeah. And Most people are lucky to make one album as good as like the four she's made. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And and so this next track is from uh, the, the movie Dancer in the Dark. And it's these workers who's stuck in a factory and it's miserable and awful. Here's a scene in the factory where in her the singer's imagination the factory sounds turn into a groove and so it goes from this noise of machines into a groove which the singer then uh uh, starts singing along with uh you know onomatopoeias to kind of join the groove Uh, so this is how kvalda is the name of this track here's how it starts It's not only catchy, but you can hear that uh, she's thinking compositionally. She's introducing the elements of an idea and slowly developing it as it sort of assembles and the song coalesces and it starts. And then by the time you get to the chorus, you hear it just blows up into this huge number that's fully orchestrated and is is really fun and funny. And uh, so here's what it sounds like when it gets to the chorus. interesting combinations of sounds that you usually wouldn't think go together that like Hollywood style brass and that kind of almost Broadway-esque vocal delivery with this like industrial industrial (laughs) yeah like nine inch nails sounds on top of it I mean it really is such a clutter of sounds but it really does work together so well Um, and I think 
um, it's something that the, the next artist we wanted to talk about also does well in, in combining a lot of those maybe acoustic instruments and sounds electronically and singer-songwriter motions that you wouldn't maybe expect would fit together great, but actually totally do. And that's Sufjan Stevens, who we've talked a little bit about before, um, but he is one of those musicians who very effectively can like swim through genres and, and is do very anything difficult. he wants yeah. <laughs> he plays a lot of instruments i mean he and like he plays the trumpet which is not something that you would usually guess like a singer an oboe he was an oboe yeah exactly kid. i mean there's a lot of he went to interlock do. I mean, he and, was a, yeah he was, he was a very talented nerd. you know musician growing up and is able to play on a lot of diverse instruments which i think is kind of what allows him to go through this stuff so seamlessly and write for it so seamlessly but in, in the track Get Real, Get Right, I think you really can see how well he weaves things together. What's amazing to me is it's how all these this eclectic mix of sounds are all like perfectly expressive of for that song like what he wanted to get across in that song it all works perfectly yeah, every single it. part sounds like it just should be there just like bjork it's something that i think is really crucial to wh whoever you are if you're making any kind of music that is going to try to reach out beyond the the stereotypical boundaries we have in music, you have to be open-minded. You have to be flexible. And, you know, I think that that's definitely something that we see both in, in Bjork and in Sufjan that just you have to be able to go into it with a full confidence of being like, this is what is my voice and and to stand and behind that expression of that yeah exactly right. and i think that is something that he also does in in the the last track on age of odds which is impossible soul which um maybe which you can't call that a song right it's a no, 25 like minute 25 minutes long yeah. jam slash composition well yeah and and to me it really it it is composed in a way i mean it it's it's development it's kind of like a, a, a theme it is and variation. it reminds you of like post-rock bands like godspeed you black emperor that yeah. sort of idea of just slowly shifting through different sounds so this is how this is how the idea starts once it gets going in impossible soul <laughs> After some development, here is where that idea kind of builds to after a few minutes, and one of the first big transitions in the track uh, is in this next excerpt. Trying to be something that I wasn't at all. Thank you. 
it's kind of interesting because um, the the female vocals that you hear in, in that recording are Cheryl Warden, um, and she is the lead singer of uh, My Brightest Diamond, um, and she is a, 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 a trained vocalist and uh, also works with Sarah Kirkland Snyder. And Sarah Kirkland Snyder is, is a composer who created... Um, this really beautiful song cycle called Penelope and had Shara Warden be the the vocalist who um, recorded it and did most of the main performances of the piece. Uh, and, And it's one of those kind of pieces of music that it sits right on that line where it's it's composed as in it's on a paper, but it's also recorded at, because it features electronic elements and it's not really stereotypical because it has, you know, a, a drum set instead of maybe what you typically see in, in concert percussion. And um, it blends a lot of these great ideas. So this is kind of an inversion of the Bjork and Sufjan Stevens, uh, where where we, we just listened to examples of songwriters, recording artists, moving in compositional direction, direction. Sarah Kirkland Snyder, you're saying, is a composer who is sort of moving toward the middle f- from the other side? Yes, yes. But she's reaching out and kind of coming from a place that's maybe not what you would consider a, a stereotypical mindset because she also is um, uh, someone who runs part of a, a, a recording label. She runs New Amsterdam Records, which is a, a recording label that... Um, science artists that create kind of music that is specifically in that kind of blurry area. So this is from Penelope, a piece of hers yes. called Penelope. really cool it's what what was immediately interesting to me about that clip is the way she uses the string instruments like harmonics and those tight uh harmonies in the upper register of the string instruments to create the effect of distortion even though they're not like playing into a microphone and it's being the sound being distorted yeah so she's you know acoustically imitating things you would do in production or you know with 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 electronic And the vocal tone really sits in this kind of, it's not really being sung in a classical style, but it's not really in a pop style. It's really right in between. And Cheryl Warden is really known for that. Is the vocalist, was that processed at all? Or was that? They have layered recordings of it. And I believe the layers may have some alterations done to it. Okay. So it's not entirely like it would appear live. Maybe not. Unless they had a way of making those things happen through the microphone and the live performance. Yeah, which bands can definitely do. They mm-hmm. then take those vocal effects and even loop pedals and things like that. Bands are now taking and doing all sorts of crazy stuff live. Yeah. Like I saw yeah. Tune Yards live, and it's amazing the layers they can create. So as you get into uh, this movement of Penelope, then we have a second uh, example that excerpt that shows you how uh, what these these ideas just build and and uh, gain energy and and mass as they go along. Yeah, and even though it's a composed song cycle, it starts to feel more like an indie rock song. When the world is upside down, 
Much like Sarah Kirkland Snyder does in, in that example, uh, I think another artist that is doing that really effectively kind of reaching across is Eric Whitaker, who is uh, a very famous composer and conductor and speaker and a lot of other awesome things. Um, and he has created this project called the Virtual Choir, where people are able to send in videos of them singing pieces of his music and they put it all together and he's able to um, kind of piece it together and, and weave it into this really gorgeous um, video of all of these people from around the world singing together. And uh, this is amazing because he, he, Eric is a, is a composer and he got to start writing music for, for bands of all things, you know, bands and wind ensembles, but is really well known for all over the world music. for his choral music as a choral composer. And uh, uh, this uh, excerpt that you picked is from uh, a piece, a the- theater stage theater piece. What would yes, you call Paradise it? Lost is kind. Of, I don't. Know, it's he hard calls, to describe. It's like a musical, but he calls it opera electronic. Yeah. Um, and so he chose so it's this operatic, but it's got electronic for one elements. of exactly. Okay. And so he chose this for one of his virtual choirs. And so basically it's 8,409 videos put together Whoa. of almost <laughs> 8,409 videos. And so what singers, what do they, they send in? It, these are individual singers who send in videos. Yeah. They record themselves singing the part and he has like a, a conducting video that he sends out that you watch okay, and so there's he a picks track. A piece yes, his. exactly. So one of his pieces and we're, we're, Hey, everybody, what? Hey, internet. Sends out the call. We're, we're going to record my piece. And then all it gives the singers you... anywhere in the world who want to sing all my piece. Yes, exactly. And then it gives you specific instructions on how to record the video. And so I would record myself singing the baritone part. Part to this fly to paradise, yeah. From finding paradise, fly to paradise, fly to paradise, and Sorry. and so there's almost six thousand singers in this video or this recording from over a hundred different countries. Mahler would have loved this. Mahler would have loved. It. So would uh, what's his name uh, that did all the huge concerts in the late 1800s in the United States. Uh, Oh man, his name's gonna come to me later. But he did in Boston these big giant concerts with thousands, like two thousand singers in a choir. Yeah, but six thousand, six thousand. That's like a a stadium full of people, a small arena Which full of incredible. people. Which is incredible. So not only is all the music one piece. itself reaching across these different boundaries of music, but the way that the music itself is being put together and created is, is also really pushing boundaries like in out our in the traditional conceptions of how we do it. Yeah, because he's using he's using video, audio, recording technology, internet, internet transmission to create a composed piece of music that's usually performed live yeah in one with everybody in one room <laughs> right yeah, it would turn into this huge global wide internet experiment so even the rendering of the thing is in the middle okay. yeah and so, so let's so this is kind of what it sounds like
think of J-pop. That's okay. Um, there are actually a lot of like anime influences on on it, so um, that's actually kind of a good thing that you noticed that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that it's another one of those kind of reaching out in a lot of unique ways that you wouldn't expect, and it's a very satisfying result. Well, and the piece itself is in the middle, obviously, because there's sophisticated choir writing. I mean, it starts to sound like it, in the beginning of that clip, it sounds a little formulaic, but then... When the choir really arrives harmonically, they're not arriving at the harmonies you would expect. <laughs> those are that's when you know it's 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 a it's a composer made this, not you know some guy noodling in the synthesizer because the harmonic choices were pretty sophisticated and unexpected. I thought yes, but but he uses you know the instrumental accompaniment is largely from what I could hear uh, synthesized. Yes, and and so it's like when you get these six thousand voices. Like there's so many of them, the resonance is so deep that they start to sound synthesized. Yeah, even yeah. though it's all iron all out. It's like you don't even have way. to use reverb when you have six thousand thousand voices. Singing. Yeah, yeah. And if you go on to YouTube and you watch the video, like it's this character walking through a cityscape, and all the windows on these skyscrapers are the individual videos of the people who sent in. And their... you just you you get the sense of the scope of how many people are actually singing and. It's it's pretty incredible. and uh, It's it's just, not only is the music interesting, but I think the project itself is pretty awesome too. Yeah, I have uh, just a couple of examples from one more composer to share to wrap things up as we kind of move all the way across this Rubicon between recorded music and composed music and, and, and out the other end. And it's the composer Mason Bates who's getting played a lot of places. You've heard his music on the podcast if you're a regular podcast listener. fresh. <laughs> and, and what Mason does, and uh, another composer, Stephen Bryant, also does this quite prominently, and uh, some other folks are experimenting with it, which is combining uh, electronic sounds with acoustic sounds in live performance, specifically electronic uh, electronic dance music, electronic sounds with beats, Right, so in the mid '90s and in the late '90s, we had rave culture explode. Electronica became a huge global dance music, and then kind of re-exploded like five years ago with the whole EDM movement. Yeah, and it's really found its way into a lot of our pop music. I mean, even hip hop now, a lot of it is just partially electronica, partially. Yeah, EDM has completely taken over the entire pop world. Yeah. It's absurd. And it's, I mean, if you go to in any dance club in any major city, probably anywhere in the world, that's the music you're dancing to. Yep. Some maybe regional flavor to it, local flavor to it, but you're going to be dancing that to. Four on the floor beat. Yeah, electronic dance music. Uh, and so, so Mason sort of approached this as uh, this is a, a ubiquitous music that is in our cultural water. And as a composer, he wanted to combine this music that was very natural to him. He's a DJ himself, spins in clubs and things uh, sometimes, not as much now that he's very successful as a composer. But uh, he weaves these sounds of electronic dance music into orchestral textures in a way that's really compelling, honors the sort of musical authenticity of both of these worlds, but brings them together in a way that's really cool. This is an, oh, go ahead. Yeah, it makes the people on stage playing it have a lot of fun, and it makes people in the audience also be like, oh, wow, this is really cool sounding. It's it's great for both parties. Right, and to hear it in a, an orchestra, in, in a symphony hall, right, in a concert hall, is particularly 
interesting, I think, because uh, you're not expecting the music to take you to those places. Yeah, you don't think it's going to do what it does. <laughs> it's, and then not, it doesn't, you're like, whoa. Yeah, it's awesome. You're not going to expect some fat beats coming out of the loudspeakers yeah. when you go to hear it the takes symphony. you off guard. <laughs> yeah, and then when the orchestra joins in, it doesn't sound cheesy or artificial at all. Well, because the orchestra's like just as beefy. Exactly. So this is from a recent piece of his. It was a symphony he wrote for the Chicago Symphony while he was composer in residence there. It's called Alternative Energy. So I love the way he integrates in that clip the the sounds, the electronic sounds and the acoustic sounds so intimately. It's not one is not layered on top of the other. It's yeah, kind of like the Kvalda, you know, by Bjork. Those, those sounds, yeah. those bringing those natural sounds together. Yeah, it doesn't sound like they're stepping over each other. It sounds like they're coexisting in the same space together. And that's uh, uh, an example of one of the more subtle ways that he uh, does that. Now, he does do it in a way to that honors the energy of electronic dance music. Right, the franticness of yeah, it. Yeah, the franticness and the the primal uh, physical the presence. physicality of it. Of the beat, of just a really heavy, low-end, electronic, yeah, yeah, subwoofer, thumping beat that that everyone who's ever been in a club and experienced this kind of music feel it, you live, know it's yeah, physical it's, the way the sound works it's visceral it's absolutely and kinesthetic um so uh uh this is an excerpt from a piece of his called the b-sides this is a live performance uh excerpt from a live performance by the detroit symphony That's like super satisfying. Oh yeah, oh yeah, because um, you have these two extraordinarily rich sound worlds coming together. Well, and and as somebody who was in my twenties in the nineties, <laughs> and who like like when rave culture kind of blew up, like I was dancing to this music. Like this music is you know it's in my cultural uh, frame of reference really strongly, 
And I was a band and orchestra nerd. I was a music nerd. So you nerd. were always saying the whole time, that probably thinking, these would have gone together pretty well. These and now pl- someone actually did, you're like, yeah, it does work really well. It does work. But, you know, with all of these examples that we've listened to in this whole episode, you know, having the idea of it and rendering it skillfully and artfully and in a way that's appealing are two very different things. Yeah, without me, it sound like a gimmick. Yeah, it, it, this could far more easily be, like you said, gimmicky or just poorly done. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you go into it specifically with just like, I'm going to put these two things together because I like them, it's, it's not going to come across very well. You have to have a sense of... Um, of your individual voice shining through. And I think that's something that all of these artists have had is that individual voice that it clearly can, you can put your finger on it, even though you can't maybe put your finger on the style or the genre. It's clear that the, the mixing, the being in the middle happened because um, of creative necessity. Like you said, they know their voice, you know, they know what they're trying to express they're having to go into the middle. They're having to draw from these different worlds to create the particular kind of experience, musical yeah, experience but they, didn't just, they want to. They didn't just write down a bunch of genre names on cue cards and pick two random ones. They organically decided to grow into these realms through what they were interested in. Right, and when it's done well, when it's done well, it can reveal more about the each of the, the kinds of musics or worlds or traditions or uh, you know I, kinds of ideas it comes from. And, like, I think the whole can be greater than the sum of the parts somehow, like happens so often in musical work. And I think also just as people expand their palettes in terms of what kind of art or specifically music they like to they like to take part in, um, especially due to the amount of access we have to music. Uh, I, I hope that people don't just start to explore different kinds of styles, but start to explore that space in between. And if you like something, try to figure out if there's someone who's treading you know that unwalked trail and if not like create some yeah and they work as good bridge works like people who want to get into another style but can't because it's too penetrating like a lot of people want to get into maybe jazz but it's just hard because there's so much history to it now there's these artists who are blending styles they may already be into and then it's a gateway for them to find sounds of that style that they're more into. Yeah, as a true. as a kid, my gateway into symphonies, into orchestral music, was movie scores. Yeah, those were culturally familiar to me. Had been yeah, this my whole all life. reflects back on our recontextualization podcasts. Right, everything's going to come from that one episode. Yeah, everything. I will. think that's that's still our most listened to episode. Huh. Uh, so yeah, everybody, wait out there, try some new stuff. Hopefully, we've turned you on maybe to some new things that sound interesting. If you look on the website, loosefilter.com, we will have a list of the uh, excerpts that we played in this episode. As always, you can find us on iTunes and subscribe there, or you can find us on SoundCloud at loose at soundcloud.com slash loosefilter. And like I said, on our very own website, loosefilter.com. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback, drop us a line loosefilter at gmail.com and we'll see you next episode bye guys see ya